0: Welcome to The Compliance Files, brought to you by the Association of Compliance Officers in Ireland. The Compliance Files is a unique podcast series giving you access to industry insights and key perspectives on how the evolving regulatory landscape is driving change, challenge and opportunity for compliance professionals everywhere.
1: Hello and welcome to the second Compliance Files podcast brought to you by the Association of Compliance Officers in Ireland. I'm Cathy Jacobs, President of the ACOI and it's a huge pleasure for me to host this podcast. I'm delighted to welcome as a guest Joe Bachel, a partner in the Financial Institutions Group and Head of Regulatory Risk Management and Compliance Team at Matheson. Joe is a well-known face to ACOI members who attend our events as Joe is a regular contributor and needs little introduction to an ACI audience. For others, we are talking to Joe today because of the substantial experience he and his practice in Matheson Solicitor's have garnered in the field of fintech technology or fintechs. Joe assists clients with the authorization of new entities by the Central Bank of Ireland and in all aspects of financial services regulation. Joe is here to discuss with me today the life cycle of a fintech firm from authorization to regulation and why Ireland is so attractive to this industry. Thank you, Joe, for talking to us today and welcome to the Compliance Files. Tell me, Joe, what are you currently seeing in your practice in relation to fintechs?
2: Well, uh, thanks, Kathy, and thanks for the introduction and and for inviting me to participate in this. It's a, certainly a very interesting and uh, and uh, exciting development, I think, for for members. Um, and I hope today that um, I can give some in- insight into the fintech sector and uh, and what we're seeing. I think what's fair to say is a very rapidly expanding area, and something which I think is interesting for those having compliance already in it. Uh, but also, I think. Is an, is an attractive kind of industry for anyone who does, who's, who's thinking for a change, thinking of a change, if you like. But in terms of what's happening at the moment, at the moment, I think the fintech side, and I'm, I'm talking really about the authorization side here, because as you can imagine, fintech is is an enormous topic, if you like. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. I mean, my practice area is very much the bit that's regulated, and, and but obviously there's lots of other bits that are that aren't regulated, if you like. But but focusing really on just the regulated part now, um, right now in 2021, I think where we are really is we're at a sort of quite a. Mid, mature level and that is to say there's quite a strong critical mass of providers uh, who provide a broad range of services. The central bank and their authorization team is again quite experienced and quite knowledgeable if you like in terms of the industry and and we're very much seeing now a kind of a post- brexit uh, phase if I can call it that. so as you can imagine there was quite a bit of work associated with firms and their a brexit solution that is firms which were based in the UK, had European uh, customers and needed to provide a European counterparty for those a European service provider. And, and a lot of work took place in the past couple of years in relation to that. Um, but now, of course, Brexit's happened famously at, at long last, you might say. Um, and uh, But that has actually permanently shifted ground because we have clients from the state, from Asia and from Europe um, who are looking to establish um, the business in Europe, in the geographical Europe, if you want to call it that. And now they have what you might call a two two city solution requirement, if you like. The UK is a big market. It'll always be a big market. So if you're serious, if you want to be a serious player in Europe, you have to be in the UK. So they end up having to get a UK license. But obviously, the EU is a big market too. So they're they're looking for a second location. And people look at Ireland, they look at Netherlands, they look at other countries, Lithuania and so forth. And Ireland is you know, it's, it's always on the list, if you like, and, uh, and so on that we're doing quite well. So I think now it's a kind of more business as usual, as I would call it, uh, but there's a very, uh, certainly a very strong pipeline.
1: And why do you think fintech companies or services look at Ireland as a location for the business?
2: Yeah, it's an interesting one. And I, I would say that it's it's kind of shifted a little bit in the last while, I suppose, as to what's happened in the marketplace. And if I start with, I suppose, maybe Brexit first, obviously a couple of years ago, a number of firms looked around and uh, Ireland was sort of on everybody's list. If you're based in the UK, same language, similar cultural and legal, you know, similar culture, similar legal environments and that kind of stuff and um, so it certainly was on the list of everyone but at that time I think a number of people were looking for a quick license a quick solution and and other jurisdictions went out um, Lithuania for example and uh, Malta to a certain extent and others and um, where people wanted a quick fix if you like as a Brexit hedge but we're now seeing actually um, interestingly interesting for me I think uh, who works kind of with the regulator all the time that actually the 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 robustness of the central bank is something that's actually attracting firms, believe it or not, I think Ireland has a very strong reputation as being a a well-regulated jurisdiction. Uh, So uh, firms want to be able to, if you like, have the badge of being authorised in a firm that has that strong uh, regulatory reputation. Uh, And I think that's twofold, I suppose. In my experience, really, in terms of clients, I mean, like one is, is, is certainly in terms of the the customer perception, if you like, that they're located in a in a well well regulated environment, but also I think for funders, so a lot of the fintechs, I I would say they're probably all in almost all of the ones that we do with are in what you might call a growth phase, and they're at various stages of funding. So I think there's a, there's a feeling that it might be easier to attract further stage funding if you are in a kind of a a robust kind of, uh, a robustly regulated jurisdiction like Ireland um, is. And we we would have some firms who had an an initial plan and and even got a license in another country, but actually um, didn't maybe switch it on or didn't stand it up to the full extent. And and now they're sort of switching to Ireland, if you like, as the more long-term or the preferred solution in terms of the long-term building of the business. So that's kind of the regulatory environment, I would say. The other then is what I would often call the IDA stuff, uh, if you know what I mean. Uh, and I wouldn't underestimate that. There are the things like um, you know, well-educated workforce, tech savvy, there's a good sort of um, financial, everyone knows globally that there's a strong tech industry in the broader sense in Ireland. So there are people working in that area. I mean, obviously, like everything, it's hard to get skilled staff anywhere, if you know what I mean. But there is a cohort here of people who are in the sector uh, so these firms can, can find other professionals, if you like, even if it's, you know, developed from developers down, if you like, yeah. not just compliance people, if you like. So like, yeah, There's an, there ecosystem an ecosystem here, use yeah. Her, yeah. To use, to yeah. use that phrase, there's yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's an often hacking phrase, there is an ecosystem here, but it, it is a real thing and it is a real attraction for people. And and then, in, you know, English language, I wouldn't overplay that much, so much, but it is a factor and, and, and system and familiarity, if you like. If you're from the US, coming over here, it's much more familiar than the continental Europe, um, if you like. So all those IDA factors Are real, and I would also say, as a sort of a by the way, if you like, that the Ida do, as we all know, do a really good job. And in the middle of the pandemic, I suppose, when everyone's working from home, they have been pushing regional development and regionalisation and encouraging firms. Uh, on, on this side to, to locate outside of Dublin, if you like, the Dublin metropolitan area, and you know, with some success. And I think uh, not, not quite necessarily fintech related; it's more recent development related. But but you can only think that you know, with the pandemic and everyone working from home, that there'll be uh, people are used to sort of maybe a slightly different solution. than if they're looking at Cork or Limerick or other other centres around around the country, I mean, those places are now themselves developing a critical mass. And and, and actually, I would I would expect that to, that to develop. so all of those reasons, if you like, and to be honest. You know, um, it, you might find it strange or listeners might find it strange to, to say a uh, corporate tax rate. That is obviously there in the mix, if you know what I mean. Yeah. But, but, but I can honestly say that in terms of the discussions that I've had with clients over the past couple of years, yeah, it, it, it does come up. Uh, but I can't think of anyone who's who's listed the corporate tax rate as their driving reason or their reason. All of the other things I've mentioned are, are, are mentioned first. Even down to things yeah. like employment law. I mean, it's, it's you know, obviously everyone knows employment law is strict here. Like, but you know, it's much, it's 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 easier to hire and fire here than it is in some European countries. So those kind of really practical things I think, that, that 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 people locate in Ireland. And tax is a factor, but it's certainly I've never come across it as being the driving factor.
1: Yeah. Well, if you're um, a company in a setup phase, you're possibly not looking at making too many profits, in, in, you know, in the in the near future anyway. Exactly. So that's probably probably the corporate tax is probably not a driver. How have you seen the fintech industry grow and change in recent years?
2: Yeah, no, that's a really good question. And, it's, uh, uh, and um, it certainly has grown and changed. And for those, of, for those of you listening who who aren't really sort of familiar with the kind of background, if you like, this is, I would say, you might call a success story from a European policy perspective, because a lot of these changes are driven by... European law development. So it was the Payment Services Directive, and that was updated in 18, PSD2, as you call the Payment Services Directive 2, and then the e-money directive. So that sort of package of measures at a European level was designed to stimulate a non-banking or non-bank sort of payments-related sector, if you like. And it has been very successful in that regard. So I guess back in 2009, 9 we would have started with relatively simple kind of payment firms, not to not to say that the, the companies are the, the challenges, the logistical challenges aren't, aren't complicated like but you know, some of the services were or maybe money transmission, getting you know, cash made to be and, and, and related services, whether it's cash or for corporates if you like. And but nevertheless, sort of, you know, that sort of relatively simple payment service. And 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 but uh, but in recent years we've seen, I guess, what you might say, the full range now of payment reserves as that industry I think it's reflective of that industry, which has grown enormously. So we have everything, I suppose, from those type of of, of payment services, cash, and then there's sort of various online app-type um uh, uh providers if you like who, who do the kind of bill share type thing moving money from a to b uh, uh, like around uh, around a sort of a, a dinner table when we where we were able to go out to dinner yeah. and, and share the bill if you like those type yeah. things on then to more sophisticated kind of serves if you like so there's actually a whole industry there that um, is really 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 important to the real economy and uh, but nobody really except those involved know it's there and it's called merchant acquiring so when you use your credit or debit card it's swipe it or tap it or what have you in a, in a in a store either physically in the store or online. There's actually a service provider there who provides a service to the merchant, which which acquires, which takes that transaction, takes those details, and it has connected to all the different pipes, if you like. It connects up to Visa, MasterCard and so forth, and the various different banks. And 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 to cut a long story short, gets the rate merchant their money from the customer's bank very via the payment schemes ultimately to the merchant, if you like. And that's that acquiring business. That's very big, and that's very that's very growing. And it's it's actually relatively complicated, um, if you like. But we've seen. Uh, significant increase in the number of players in that space and then broader than, I suppose, beyond just sort of straight acquiring, credit cards, then providers, think you know, people like Stripe and others looking to expand that offering, if you like, for, for their merchants to accept all sorts of payment methods, if you like. So. The big thing about, I guess, technology and FinTech is all about scalability, you have the technology. I mean, there's nobody that we're dealing with whose ambition is to establish in Ireland only. And um, the whole thing about technology, it's scalable, and get very big, if you like. So people are looking to offer these various services in the payment side of things to merchants uh, globally, if you like, um, and that involves interacting with local payment systems. And, and it's, it's really, really interesting area in terms of how that works. So for example, in Europe, Um, actually sort of the penetration of credit cards is much lower than it would be in Ireland, for example. And a lot of people use more more a debit system where, and um, you sign up to a provider, give them your, it's like a trusted provider, give them your debit card details. And then when you're paying online or whatever, they can pull the amount of money from your bank account. It's not credit, it's debit, if you like. And that's kind of, for, in Netherlands, for example, that's totally standard. Everyone uses it. It's ubiquitous, if you like. Similar systems in Germany. And I think you know, we have Irish firms who are connecting up to these systems to offer them that sort of payment functionality to their clients, who then might be sort of merchants in the sense of you know, goods and services if you like. But all, increasingly then we're seeing them providing those services to, to online platforms then. So you have an online platform buying and selling various different things. And it's all around providing that sort of payment functionality uh, to get that really interesting, kind of sophisticated, if, if you know what I mean. And then we have other things then we see other providers, they do cards, I mean, at the very simplest um, e-money where you have your, like your one for all card and GDS is uh, prepaid, they're the one for all card people. So, so you know that that card is equivalent to cash, if you like, and it's accepted widely and that's regulated. Um, but then there's sort of broader versions of that, and there are lots of different providers of that uh, and lots of different solutions, as I said, typically looking to offer them kind of on an international basis. So that's the kind of, if you like, say, payment sector, which is has a lot of big players now, very much an international focus, if you like, global focus. And then I, I would say then there is others that are more in the traditional banking side if you want to call it or challenger kind of banks the actual challenger banks n 26 and revolution and fire and others if you like who are providing people with as i said online bank accounts effectively where you can you can do everything on those and 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 they they uh, have had significant success and some of them have significant numbers of users in ireland and ireland actually for some of them it's it's a a very big sort of uh, market feel like and that itself is really interesting because uh, I think everyone feels, myself as a practitioner working in it, dealing with them, uh, and, and learning about things, it's interesting. Everyone knows that you know that sort of digital solution is kind of the, the platform for financial service. We all know how how use how user friendly it is, how easy it is, um, and, and so on. And you know, when I look at I, I'm you know, when I look at my own children now, um, teenagers. In their early 20s, if you like, I don't criticize the bank, but like I, I had a 16 year old who had accumulated some money from various birthdays and whatnot. And and his mother decided, you know, it would be a good idea to open a bank account, you know, good discipline. And um, it went in from school that they had half days and twos on, on Wednesdays, so did them on Wednesday afternoon, because, of course, the opening hours aren't aren't great and did one, one, and said, oh, whoever it was, Mary or somebody does that, she's not in, can you come back next week? So he diligently comes yeah. in next week. And then it takes another week after that to open the bank account to, the, to deposit this couple of hundred, if you know what I mean. The same person did, uh, did a, a TY session in Davies, in terms and uh, really got into shares. Uh, I was able to open a Revolut share trading account you know, well, it was my name because he's under 18, like there he was you know, in a flash, able to, able to buy and sell chairs and so forth. Like, you know, so, it you know, he it's funny that because, I mean, he will just to him, it's like it's all online. He's no interest yeah. in going into a branch and meeting people. I think that's the future. So we all know the way, the way yeah. it's kind of going. And, and what's great to see is that Ireland has critical mass of these providers, really credible providers, if you like. And it's a really interesting area. And what we see, of course, is when there's a critical mass, more it, it, like, it, it, it's a positive effect. It generates more business. And then the other thing, which is more in, not more interesting, further again, we're seeing, if you like. And um, so I mentioned the kind of huge payment world, if you want to call that ecosystem, then the sort of, you know traditional bank well, not traditional bank but non-traditional banking but, but more more familiar street, kind of account, yeah. accounts, current account type systems we really yeah. like and then what we also see now is are things like um in the crypto space so virtual assets obviously sort of bitcoin is the famous one but there's others you know have done very well recently like you know maybe there's a bubble maybe there isn't but they've gone up a lot but there's there's a whole industry around that at the at the moment subject so to, to, to to change very shortly That's the actual crypto providers and so on are not regulated, but typically firms have incorporated and have had authorized e-money firms. So they take your what's called your regular money, your fiat currency, they convert it into a stored balance in e-money account, and then they use your e-money account to buy your virtual assets, if you like. And we've actually got quite a number of players in Ireland in, in that space and there's more coming because we're working on them. And and actually that whole sector in, in, in future years is, is going to be much more mature if you like. So literally in the next couple of weeks or months and the five money fifth money laundering directive will be will be passed into Irish law that will regulate these firms from a money laundering perspective. Um, but, but looking down the track, Europe, um, through what's called MICA, a, a new directive, if you like, similar to MIFID, if anyone knows MIFID, but virtual assets, that, that's going to be regulated on a pan-European basis. So that's, that's another thing that, that's, that's coming down in Ireland is kind of well-positioned because we have a good critical mass there. So to be honest, I mean, it's, it's a long answer. And, yeah. I, 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 you know, I think what I would say is that uh, it's a long answer because actually there have been, there've been really strong developments across a broad front of all of those key fintech developments, those key industry areas if you like and everyone building up a critical mass if you like and uh, yeah. like it's a really interesting thing to be working in from my perspective and also I think for, for the compliance industry as well because everyone has to have compliance.
1: Yeah so as well as the entrepreneurial drive PSD2 has has actually done its job then as well and it's driven a lot of change as well would that be right
2: it has you know and it's, it's funny because I, i've been sort of working in the sort of compliance regulation field for i don't know is it more than 15 16 17 i don't and uh, let's call it 15 15 and 20 years if you like and there's, there's days when you feel like you're just delivering bad news to people oh you can't do that the rules say that or that's going to be very expensive because you have to do this and, uh, you know, and and, and, uh, and many perhaps people who are listening will, will resonate with them to a certain extent, you know, I sometimes feel like I'm a bit like to visit dentist, you know, like, yeah, really, you know, if there's an issue <laughs> in Joe turning up because of the problem. But actually, the one thing that, not the one thing, I have lots of job satisfaction. But what I mean is an area that's really satisfying are these type of areas, because actually the underlying law, the rules, the compliance rules are there to help businesses set up and prosper. And there's nothing more satisfying than working with a client over several months, you know, from an idea, a call, through to getting the license, and then in the subsequent years after that, watching it develop and grow and get bigger and have all this growth issues, if you know what I mean? And um, which is great. And there's nothing more satisfying than seeing that. Like so, that I think that's area where I think this is an area where you might say compliance does a really good job, and that actually the rules, the framework, PSD2, as I said, any money. Um, they've they really stimulated the whole industry and that employs lots yes. of people and, 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 and is actually growing and is going to get bigger.
1: Joe, you mentioned that the central bank is you know growing in expertise in, in fintech. How do you find dealing uh, with the central bank and with the authorisation teams there?
2: Yeah, no, it's, it, it's, it's a really good question. Uh, and actually things have really changed materially for the positive in, in, in recent years, I would say. So a couple of years ago, let's say five, more, let's say five or six years ago, I think the the bank had a reputation for being slow, very conservative, very reluctant to take a view, and was often contrasted rather unfairly in some cases, but sometimes fairly with with the FCA and and other regulators. And um, I, I think uh, it it made it difficult. Like we had I, I was working with one client, you know, who, who gave up, if you like, and you know, who was trying to get a license, was working away. Uh, and, and there was an issue that the, the regulators just couldn't seem to get their head around and, and which was, seemed perfectly sensible to the client. I think that was just born out of it, unfamiliarity and, and they eventually sort of gave up, if you like, and they just didn't bother with the whole project now that they went somewhere else, if you like. Um, contrast that, which I, 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 I want to be very clear, was, I'm going to say, seven years ago, like quite some time ago to now. And myself and the team, we, we cover a number of areas and deal with different sections in the central bank. But I have to say that the, the payments team there are... Very good, um, very approachable, very organised, and I think they certainly convey. They, they certainly want to get firms regulated, and that's clear. The clients see that and appreciate that. They're very open uh, and. They are, I would say, very much on top of their brief and very much understand the industry and, and that kind of stuff. And even if the, the, something comes up that they haven't come across before, they have a good ability to think about it and reference it to other things they've done, if you like. So we find it to be very good and very professional. Don't get me wrong; like, you know, you have to dot your eyes and cross your T's. Like, it, it's, 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 you know, it's a robust process, uh, as, as I mentioned earlier. Yeah. The actual process for those of you who aren't familiar, if you like. What we have in PSD, those regulations, is is, a, is classic kind of um, what I call sort of modern-day European financial services. It's maximum harmonisation. So you, you know, for those of you working in the industry a long time, uh, certainly older older regulations uh, were, were quite light. they might have been five or ten pages um, at the most, and that was it. And there was a lot of flexibility given to member states and a lot of divergence. Certainly post-financial crisis, that was seen as having caused issues in the 08-09 financial crisis. So there's been a real drive to... Have maximum harmonisation directives, things where you can't change. We see it in investment services, MIFID, and payments is one of them, if you like. And that has gone further. There's lots of different level two measures, and right down to the actual format of the application. So the EBA, European Banking Authority, prescribes what a what a payment licence or e money licence is supposed to contain, all the different guidelines and so on. Get very very clear guidance to regulators, and in France, Central Bank they follow that. And it's very clear. So the actual licensing process should be similar. In other words, I know the emphasis is slightly different, but they're very good. I think they're very open. If there is a blockage, you know, they'll have a call if needs be. Um, obviously, you have to follow up in writing and so forth. So I think the, the, the experience is good. If you And I think, helpfully I guess, the rules had to change when PSD2 came in, but they have changed. Um, and quite a number of applications have gone through. So both the bank and the providers like ourselves kind of have, have gone through a few times now, if you like. So we're much better and we're able to advise you know, you know on sort of what's needed, if you like. So I would say it, 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 the experience is a positive one. And I think certainly adds I know their job isn't to promote financial service in Ireland. That's gone a long time. But 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 by doing the work they do the way they do it, they in fact do that, if you know what I mean. And it takes the time it takes, you know, you're not going to get a license in four months. You're probably going get one in six months if you like. It takes the time it takes, but I always say to people like look in five years time does we really make a difference whether it took 10 months or 12 months you know between you know you forget about that like the question is are you happy with being in ireland for all the other reasons that i talked about at the start yeah um, if you like but they do yeah. a really good job in france i would say
1: what issues do fintechs encounter in the authorization process what are the big yeah are? and
2: it's, it's really good yeah lots i would say and, it's, it, and and lots i would say that are that i've learned if you like and to a certain extent are a feature of of that industry and, and almost those people without, you know, with every yeah. person anything like that. Um, and actually, it, it, it's something where I think compliance officers can really help on, yeah. to be honest, and actually where the compliance officer being on board early uh, on some of these projects or in these terms is really, really important. So a couple of things I would say. As you would imagine, you know, to get a license from the central bank, uh, as I tell to every client, you're not just getting a license in Ireland, you're getting a license in the whole EU, EEA, That's a huge market. It's the biggest single market, if you like. The central bank takes its responsibilities very seriously. So you have to have a presence. You have to have an operation here. And I know your systems are so super fantastic. You can probably have one person in the box room and it'll all do fine. But that isn't going to wash. Uh, You have to have you're getting a European license from a European regulator and you have to have a presence. The mind and management has to be here. So for some firms, especially when they're smaller, maybe most of it's in the UK, and and and, and it's difficult to think. Well, how can I double up? Uh, how can I do both, if you like? And and, and to a certain extent, there's a cost associated with getting a license, and you have to do that. So I think firms have to be very. The, the issues are that have, people have to get their head around the operating model and designing something that actually has the yeah. requisite substance that will allow the central bank to get comfortable that the firm is going to be managed and controlled from Ireland, from the firm, and that if they go in and supervise it, wherever that is, uh, you know, in these days, but if they go in and supervise it, that there's somebody there to supervise, that they know what's happening. I think that can be difficult for people uh, to get their head around. It involves perhaps some roles that they hadn't thought of, that they might not necessarily have, or maybe they were thinking of, but maybe further down the road, maybe they were planning on that kind of role in two years' time, but we're kind of saying, actually, you know, to have a credible application, you really need to put that in now. So that can be difficult for people to kind of get their head Have to kind of juggle the numbers and so on. And but as I said to people, there is a you know a license is is there's a cost to it. certainly a barrier to entry. And um, you know if you yeah. need a license, not everyone has one. And but you have to have to do the property. That's so the the actual operating model is 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 I guess. Um, for the source of lots of discussion uh, with time. And I, I always would say to them that you really have to get this right before you go to the bank. You, you, you don't negotiate with the bank. Let's go in with, let's go in with two, and um, but we know we need 10 sort of thing. I mean, that just gets you off completely on the wrong foot. And then I would say the other challenge, and this is where I would flag where compliance officers are particularly... Um, um, useful I have a lot to offer FinTech yeah. is like yeah. typically the FinTechs of course they're fantastic at the technology the, the user interface is fantastic it all works great the technology stack is great you know the user interface is fantastic and, and, and they're you know they're all about designing a frictionless process it makes it very easy for the user they really understand their users if you know, like if, if the target market is my 17 or 16 I'll 17 next week you know the, the teenager or the early 20s you know they know what they like and what they don't like and so on so that's one culture if I can call it that. And then you have to come up against the regulated world, yeah. which is driven by yeah. black letter law, policies, procedures, evidence so, that you've done it, one yeah. minutes, blah 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 blah. And to them culturally that's like they're not even use paper anymore, like they don't write stuff yeah. down, like you know. Yeah. Uh, so getting people to a place where they will they will have the formality and the robustness of sort of that kind of, to a certain day, they will feel like superfluous infrastructure, I mean, not core to the business. That's really important to get, get it right. Because, of course, in terms of the regulators, you know, they don't know it and they've very the lesson. You can't just trust people. Just because they say they do it doesn't mean they will do it. And oftentimes they don't do it. You know what I mean? So mm. you have to have evidence. So there has to be, you know, I guess, in, in financial services, outsourcing is universal. I mean, there isn't a firm that doesn't outsource something and some people outsource a lot. So there has to be an agreement, there has to be a service level, there has to be KPIs, there has to be management of it, and you have to evidence that. And 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 oftentimes for, for fintechs, there's internal outsourcing, it's quite fluid, quite informal, and this kind of rigor, if you like, the same type of rigor you'd apply to a third party isn't done internally. But that's what the central bank needs to see, if you like. So yeah. there's quite a bit of, I guess, leading, leading people in the world and trying to, what we try to do is get them, to put themselves in the shoes of a supervisor and go, well, but, but what they're coming from is, is managing risk. So you have to be able to, get to convince the regulator that you, that you can articulate the risks, that you understand those risks and that you're able to mitigate those risks. And the only way they can do that is write it up and have controls around it. Uh, And and most clients can do it. Uh, It's just that they haven't prioritised it in their mind. They're spending most of the time on the user experience and then the back office process, making sure it all works from a technology perspective. But then documenting that to to the level that almost, I suppose the supervisor, like you might call the informed layman, I mean, they're not like, they're not totally ignorant, but they don't know your business. But you have to be able to document to the extent that these informed supervisors who are in the area but don't know what you do, can see what you're doing, and, and, and can know can get confidence you are controlling what you're doing. So I mean, I think that that's a, a cultural difference. A, a, and and the other thing, which is related to that, I would say, um, in terms of the challenges, is is speed. Um, they're used to doing things quickly. And yeah. um, if you think of technology, they do sort of beta testing when it's not quite right, and see how it works, and then develop, and then finally deploy the technology. A regulator can't endorse something that's half complies. It has yeah. to be compliant. You're not allowed to bring something to the market, if you like. You know, that doesn't work, if you know what I mean, from a regulatory perspective. And, and I know there's other issues about sandbox and all the like. But we're parking that. And sometimes, you know, people change very quickly. We're doing this product. Now we're going to do another one. And it can be difficult for people to say, well, you know, the regulations to prove this. You know, you need to think about how you go back and explain why you're doing something else. And uh, you need sometimes to have a track record of doing A before you can do D, if you know what I mean, or do A, B, C before you do D, E, F, if you like. And so tempering expectations, understanding that the central bank will become a key stakeholder and that you may have to continue will have to continually engage with, you know, takes a bit of time for people to 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 sink in, if you like. And as I said, the reason I I focused on compliance people is you all know that's what you do. Like you have an appreciation of what the regulator is looking for, where they're coming from. You know where their sensit- where the where their sensitivities are. You know, uh, and that, I think is incredibly valuable for these syntax yeah. who just don't have that it just isn't in their dna and, and you know nor would you expect it to be moving into uh, often moving into a new world of being regulated and they need to be educated
1: yeah so it's the culture of technology and innovation coming up against regulated financial services so yeah yeah look those are really good pointers actually joe and one of the key messages is employ your your compliance officer early you
2: know just to be clear for everyone, i mean you, you you won't get a license Without a compliance officer,
1: mm. and I think you know, what we, you know,
2: what we have seen in recent years, I guess, is the central bank certainly obviously insisting on on a, on a compliance person, but obviously we're not obviously, but they're 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 now focusing on risk as well. So yes. depending on the size of an organisation, they want to delegate a risk person or function uh, alongside a, a a compliance person yeah. or function. Uh, and the smaller you are, you might be able to mash them together a bit. But compliance risk, that second line, is really important. And there's lots of opportunities for, for compliance professionals in that area, uh, to be honest, uh, now, as I said, and in the future.
1: What has been the impact of the explosion in fintech um, had on your practice?
2: Yeah, I, I think it's, um, it's like I said, it's kind of an overnight success after 10 years, if you want to call it that. Yeah. Um, and PSD2 came in a long time ago uh, and it was a slow burn in that sense. Brexit was the real catalyst. We, we thought it would be and it was. And because the UK deliberately kind of set out to be an innovation hub and deliberately and very successfully built up a huge ecosystem, a huge number of regulated firms. So London was the go to place, if you like, for fintech startups in the broader sense. And then the kind of regulatory environment supported that. And it was relatively easy to get licensed. Um, there, so by far, London had the the, the largest amount of licenses. And w- you know, when you go to conferences in fintech-related conferences, as I as I used to do in the old days before I was confined to barracks uh, in in the house, you, you would see lots of speakers who would be from all over the place. They could be from Russia, they could be from Asia, different European countries, and uh, uh, almost always, or very often, the firm they set up within London. And, uh, and then it was like exporting back to wherever, um, usually using the passport. And obviously if you're Russian, you can't passport from, from the EU, if you know what I mean. But, but um, you know, in London sort of certainly gained a dominance for all the factors I mentioned. And then, of course, Brexit then throws the complete banner in the works. Then they can't, they can't passport from the UK, so they have to look around. So we, we did gain, as, as Ireland and in our practice, we got a huge amount of work from all those providers. And as I said, that is very interesting spread of providers. It's not just one thing, it's it's those all those sectors I mentioned earlier. And that's what we've seen. And then I would say now as we're heading into sort of 2021 in a in a sort of post-Brexit era, the pipeline of projects continued to come in. As I said, I I always say to people when Brexit was announced that yes, there would be a bump, if you like, uh, of Brexit-related projects, but it permanently shifted things. And that's been borne out by the amount of instruction, new instructions we're getting. There's been a fundamental shift. As I said, you need a two-city solution. London, certainly for the UK, it's still a big market, and somewhere else, and Ireland is on the list, and we're, you know, we're getting our fair share, I would say.
1: As you know, Joe, we announced our new educational offering at our annual conference in October last year the Professional Certificate in FinTech Risk and Compliance, which is scheduled to start on 2nd of March. What is the role of the Compliance Professional in FinTech Services, in your view?
2: Yeah, it's a good question. And to a certain extent, I know I've spoken about that already, but uh, firstly, I would say that the, the qualification is really welcome and really timely because uh, I've often thought to myself, if I had the time, I'd love to sort of sit down and write a textbook on how all this works. But actually, the, there isn't one, if you like. So how kind of payments, how all these things work isn't really written down in lot of its practice and actually can be quite alienating in some respects for people or, or, or might result in people holding back about getting involved in the industry. But But actually... I think what the compliance professional offers is something that's really invaluable to the fintech. Is that regulatory perspective? Is that what does the supervisor expect? Is that how how do we kind of provide the formality that a supervisor needs, but at the same time do it in a way that the business is, is efficient for the business, if you like? So actually, it's a really key role. And I think the The new qualification, if you like, I think will give people, both those involved at the moment, but also potentially people looking to to join this sort of industry sector. Just that bit of grounding, the overall framework of of the different rules and regulations. Like the actual underlying rules, there are not that many and they're not necessarily that complicated in in some respects, if you like. They're certainly doable. And I think what I think compliance uh, professionals have demonstrated over many years is like is their ability to digest new rules and to apply them practically and I think that you know that that talent if you like of digesting rules and apply them in a practical way into a business and in a way that will keep a regulator happy if you want to call it that that's really really invaluable if you like and I think I think to me that's the core skill and as I said I think the the new uh, qualification the new course would be enormously helpful uh, for everyone in that and ultimately I think will actually you know help contribute to the overall industry in terms of it's overall growth if you like because it's another selling point for ireland you know, you know uh, providers are looking at all the different elements can i get the right people can i get a compliance person you know do they know what you know, they know what this industry is about and this will really feed into that in a very positive way i think
1: and looking forward down the 20s uh what are the developments do you think that we'll see from the regulators in this space
2: yeah i mean i, I think it's what, what's interesting i i guess is i i guess the non-bank payment side of things is it's starting to come of age if I can call it that by which I mean it's, it's really getting very big now and in some cases it is really important to the real economy some are very small and there's a huge amount of companies doing it seems largely the same thing and in terms of what you might call the prism impact they're definitely low you know what I mean but having said that the industry sector as a whole as you said, has become increasingly important and visible, if you like, to the real economy, evidenced by the Wirecard scandal in in Germany. So that was, that they did have a bank license, but they were involved Mm in acquiring, they were involved in the issued uh, prepaid cards, if you like, and uh, their actual kind of uh, licensed entity for some of those, they had some of these uh, FX currency cards, was as a UK licensed entity. And when the sort of scandal erupted in Germany, the FCA froze the accounts of of the UK regulated company for a while, a few days while they went in and did an investigation. Now, as it happened, the rules worked. It was well run. That company is well run. The accounts were properly segregated and everything was fine. And then it was things unfrozen, if you like. But I think there were lessons there in the regulators criticised from, from the European perspective. I, I'd be astonished if there wasn't some sort of reaction, uh, if you like, from, from regulators uh, to just sort of make sure they have their head around these, these type of firms, if you like. The other side is is, is that, is the money laundering side of things and um, the money laundering risk and a lot of money can move around. Um, as I said, the the virtual asset service providers, as, they, as they're called, are, are coming on stream to be regulated for money laundering purposes and I think that'll be a focus and a, a lot of work for everyone in in relation to that and that's it I, I would say yeah, um, yeah. For, for the coming year and, and more the, the next couple of years yeah. you know, I mean I think as, as an industry gets bigger more important naturally you'd expect more more you know oversight from supervisors yeah. I mean that's that's normal
1: and finally have you any thoughts on on the future of fintech
2: yeah I, I think about it all the time <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I'm and, and, and so encouraged, to be honest, because I see that um, what's happened in the ca- past couple of years is a real genuine gathering of a critical mass of a really strong industry. I see internationally vast sums continuing to be invested into the broader fintech kind of space. Given actually the barrier to entry that a license is, they're actually quite valuable and uh, worth having. Uh, not everybody can do it. I mean, if you need a license... As I mentioned, you know, there's quite a lot of investment, both, you know, time and money and people in getting a license, um, and they are valuable in that sense. So I think the, the whole Brexit shift wasn't a one-off. There's now a critical mass here. There's also the, the domestic sort of tech sort of entrepreneurs, if you like, looking to move into the regulated space. There's a great momentum in Ireland, generally, on on that side, fostered by government and government policy across all different agencies, whether it's IDA coming in, Enterprise Ireland in, going out, and all of that. So I I think it's a very exciting area, and I I just see sort of, I I genuinely see limitless growth on that, and there really isn't an upper limit at at, at this time. And like all these things, it's probably just headcount, if you like, and the way a lot of people can deal with headcount constraints, then, is, is, is clever outsourcing. And um, our, 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 our client firms outsource places all over the place. Mm-hmm. And Belarus, you know, to Bulgaria, to you know Manila in the Philippines and all, all places in between, if you like, there's a variety of different things. So I actually see it as, as a limitless opportunity and, and, and one that should be very interesting and exciting for compliance people.
1: Great. Well, that's a really positive, upbeat note to, to end on, Joe. Thanks, Joe. It's been a fascinating discussion and it's been really interesting to get your your insights and your, and your expertise. So thank you very much.
2: Pleasure, Cathy. Thanks very much for inviting me.
1: It is with great pleasure that we in ACOI, in partnership with Professional Accountancy Training, bring a new qualification, the Professional Certificate and Diploma in FinTech Risk and Compliance, designed for financial services industry and risk compliance professionals of the 2020s. ACOI has always anticipated developments in regulation and associated risks, and this new qualification continues that mission. In the same spirit of the problem solvers and innovators that drove financial technologies or fintechs, this qualification is the first of its kind in Ireland. Ireland is an important location for the fintech industry and not just because of Brexit. This qualification will contribute to our strong fintech ecosystem, ensuring Ireland remains attractive to those seeking to develop a fintech business. The role of head of risk and compliance is one of the first hires for fintech establishing in Ireland. And this programme provides the skills and knowledge for anyone wishing to take up that key role. Once you have completed this program, you will have the skills essential for those in risk and compliance roles. The course will offer a broad spectrum of the risks and also developments that have shaped the modern financial services business, but also the technological changes that are anticipated, such as RegTech and SubTech. I'm delighted to welcome Andrew Quinn, Director of FinTech and Financial Services from Professional Accountancy Training, to chat with me about developing the course and bringing it to fruition. Andrew, thank you for joining me. Can you just tell our listeners how they would benefit from this program?
3: So, first of all, just a tiny bit of context. PAT was in some conversations with the ACOI, yourself in particular about as you've just described the challenges that the modern finance professional faces in a sort of more fintech operating environment and just to be clear fintech simply means how technology is enabling or changing or innovating how financial services are delivered and financial services to a large degree are what they are and we go through cycles of this innovation and I think it's probably fair to say over the last decade or so and perhaps even now accelerating in a COVID-type environment with increased digitization. This fintech environment is more and more a reality for many of your members. So the programme really tries to address this um, and the programme looks at very specific areas of the fintech, if you like, operating environment from the initial authorisation through to the different types of risks from a compliance and regulatory reporting perspective. I think AML is is, is a particularly strong focus area. It looks at the issues around data protection and the ethical use of personal data. Uh, It looks at specific issues like safeguarding of customer funds and, I think a really important focus in the development of the programme was the outsourcing of a, of a lot of um, critical services by uh, fintech providers and also obviously perhaps uh, fintech providers being vendors who more traditional institutions are buying products and services from. And then finally, I would just say that we try to also put everything within the context of the culture that's required and that addresses specific specific issues like fitness, property, condo and so on. So hopefully that's something of an overview, Cathy.
1: Andrew, that sounds like a really good rounded view if you're wrapping culture around that as well, because that's such an important theme, the central bank, especially, you know, when you've got new businesses and new business models, even in in financial services to have that culture wrapped around, you know, the, the nuts and bolts of it is 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 really important so how will the learning be structured so how how will students engage with this program
3: yeah so this is probably as important as the actual if you like syllabi which was developed over a period of probably four to five months and you yourself were very involved in that and i thank you and the other members of the expert group for their time but Almost as important as the syllabi itself is how are you actually going to, as I would say, deliver it? How are you going to engage with students or learners? And I'd like to think that this program offers a very innovative approach, which is, I think, appropriate for what we're trying to achieve here. So the structure, which we recently have put out some material through the ACOI and ourselves, and there is a nice little video, if I may say so, with myself and uh, the other member of senior faculty, Larry Gordon, walking through this. But but the the brief overview is every week will be very structured. We will provide students with two to three hours of prepared materials, which could be a pre-recorded segment of content. They'll be done in nice 10 minute, 15 minute blocks. We'll also provide students with directed learnings and referencing, case studies. And then every week for a total of 18 weeks, there are two modules, each of which has nine weeks, eight weeks of content, and the final week is a bit of a kind of wrap-up, preparing for an exam, which will come two exams, one at the end of each module. But every one of the eight weeks will be very structured. There'll be a very uh, innovative, engaged class plan, which will be shared in advance with students. And every week, myself and Larry will sort of anchor the class, and then there will be a practitioner. We have put together a really impressive and associate faculty. Every week, one of the faculty who comes directly from industry and works across financial services, some in more traditional institutions, some in what you definitely might call fintechs or challenger banks. And the idea of the delivery is simply to make the program as real and engaging Uh, for the students as possible. And I think that students will find that the programme is delivered in a way, in a fashion, in a structure that reflects the innovative nature of what we're trying to do here. And as you said earlier, Cathy, the objective is very simple. Uh, We we want students to feel that the time and the money they've invested in the programme absolutely helps them In their day to day jobs and their future career paths.
1: I myself began a role in a fintech and was looking around actually for exactly what we are offering today. So I'm delighted that this this is the first of its kind in Ireland. It's, as you've described, Andrew, it's very accessible for everybody. It's going to be a really good way if someone wants to invest their lockdown or the rest of lockdown, this would be an excellent way of, of upskilling and actually positioning themselves perhaps for the, new, for the new world order after post-COVID. As you said, it's designed by industry for industry. You've said that before and it very clearly is, but also we've brought the best. of of other sectors as well. I would like to thank Pat and especially yourself uh, for being involved in this. It's been a pleasure working with you and I really look forward to bringing this to life.
3: Very much look forward to the next 18 weeks. Thanks Andrew. Thanks Cathy.
0: We are delighted to announce that our new educational offering, the Professional Certificate in FinTech Risk and Compliance commences on the 2nd of March. ACOI professional accountancy training have collaborated on designing a contemporary practitioner-focused course that translates the traditional compliance function in the evolving EU fintech environment. The course, which has been designed in the context of the EU regulatory framework, provides participants with the knowledge and skills required to conduct and manage evolving compliance functions within the EU financial services industry. This highly interactive course will be delivered online by a team of industry professionals from across the fintech ecosystem and will run over 18 evenings once a week. Registration closes on the 15th of March. Details on the Professional Certificate in Fintech Risk and Compliance can be found on the ACI website or email acoi at info at for
2: more information. thank you for listening to this episode of
0: The Compliance Files. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you are listening to ensure you don't miss out on future episodes.